in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have got a terrific show for you with a surprisingly jam-packed show with a lot of things going on, even in the midst of what is typically considered the down period for the NFL offseason. So let's get to it. He is going to make sure every single contract he signs from here on out guarantees his money in case of injury. You know, So that way he gets paid no matter if he's employed or not. Sam Blake is on the podcast with us. How are you, man? Doing well. You know, sometimes you just have to make sure that, that the money comes first. I will also make sure that I am always training at the facility. <laughs> he believes that not just OTAs, but really any personal interaction should start be, become and remain virtual. Jacob Allen is with us on the podcast. How are you, man? Doing good. Sean, I'm so bad at intros. It took me a good 20 seconds before I realized your reference to Sam. So I'm still thinking about the one for me. So back to you, Sean. <laughs> to be fair, the intro did take a long time to get there. And I am Sean <laughs> Egan. I have been asked to take my third pay cut on an already non-guaranteed contract to remain on the practice squad. Let's get to the topics here, guys, because we've got we were planning this show uh, this past week and uh, weekend as we are recording this here on Monday night on May 17th. And we were honestly, you know, Jacob is, is probably the most prolific out of us in being able to provide and come up with topics just to get the, the juices flowing, you know, provoke thought if there isn't anything that is, you know, immediately jumping out at us. And then all of a sudden, something happened on Twitter that I know scared the hell out of me initially, but we've had a chance to kind of come back down. We're going to discuss it here. And that is that, there's a brief interaction between a Twitter user who I'm going to reference here at show me FB or show me football and Tyron Matthew. This exchange was then retweeted by the at real bird lawyer. And here's what the interaction was. Show me footballs asks, are we ever going to get a Tyron Matthew extension? Did not tag Tyron Matthew for the record in this tweet. Tyron Matthew responds and says, probably not. Been here before, all good. He then went back in and deleted that tweet. Now, not before the entire Twitterverse and all of you know sports media were able to get a screen grab of it and share it with the entire you know Chiefs Nation. But it did spark at least some, some nerves in me initially, because I think that is a topic that we've been wondering when it was going to come to fruition is – Tyron Matthews extension was considered a foregone conclusion coming into this off season, just because of the amount of cap it could free up for the chiefs, knowing that they had were pursuing Trent Williams, knowing that they still had a lot of holes to fill both in the interior offensive line. Um, and then obviously when, once the tackles were cut at you know, left and right tackle, there are a lot of you know, questions about how much money they were going to actually have available and extending Matthews seemed like an easy way to free that up. Let's just go around the group and get initial reactions to Matthew's tweet saying that probably not in reference to whether or not he will get a contract. Jacob, I'll come to you here first. What was your reaction when you uh, saw that tweet? Uh, my reaction is I, again, get to keep my moniker of worst prediction maker because I believe I came into the offseason saying, no doubt Tyron Matthews getting extended like you said, Sean, because of the money. So they would say they could save a bunch of money because of being able to push his non-guaranteed part of his contract over a couple seasons. But now the more I look at it and think about it, my brain says to me, 
how much money is Tyron Matthew worth essentially is where my brain is at, because do you want to end up paying Tyron Matthew as one of the top safeties in the league? And I have a tough time even answering that question and think to myself because Tyron Matthews is just so tough to negotiate. He takes so many chances that you're never sure, you know, just how good he is, but he's clearly a defensive leader. So what's that worth? And so I guess a summary of what I said is to me, he's sometimes he's the most overrated player on the field. Other times he's the most underrated player on the field. And so my brain is just racking to be like, are they, concerned about signing Tyron Matthew for some reason are they worried about his style of play are they looking for a replacement are they not committed to getting as much money as you want so that's where my brain is spinning around this whole thing at this point Sam what about you when you saw the tweet and heard you know in reference to Matthew getting an extension how did you feel about it it wasn't honestly too big of a deal I think it was a severe overreaction by the Twitter sphere of reading into something that I don't think meant a lot When we look at how the Chiefs have treated some of our other defensive stars, specifically Chris Jones, Chris Jones was in a very similar situation last year and still signed that contract. I think it was July 15th, something along there, so midway through the summer. I can see that happening very closely to to Matthew. I I feel like that was one of those comments and why he deleted it so quickly was it was like he meant it as one thing, and everyone read it as something completely different because I don't, we haven't heard animosity out of Tyron Matthew. Again, he, he is a professional player. He's a guy that came into this league with a lot of questions and showed that he is one of the consummate pros in this league. So maybe he's just handling it as a professional, but we haven't heard any animosity towards the chiefs. We haven't seen him making any outlandish tweets as some of the other players that we've seen have, So for me, it wasn't a big concern. Um, Obviously, this is a a deal that I would have liked to see be done by now, but I I still think the Chiefs are going to give them the extension. And I think it was just a it was a poorly worded tweet that probably read differently than he may have intended is the way I read into it. My initial reaction was, as you said, Sam, to overreact. I I immediately panicked. It was it was a feeling of oh my gosh, have they not even started talking? Like, what are we doing here? Then once I had a chance to sit down and look at it, I did remember Patrick Mahomes wasn't signed to his extension until June. Chris Jones, as you said, lighter than that. And Chris Jones had very similar interactions in the Twitter sphere where he would send out these cryptic tweets, you know, just got to do my own thing and God will provide that kind of a uh, series of tweets where now a lot of people think, man, he really is like just, you know, convinced he's not going to be in Kansas City. And as it turned out, Chris Jones became the second highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL. So I do think that that is an overreaction by me and a lot of people like me who saw that tweet and immediately thought, oh my God, he's, he's going to play out his contract. Now, to your point, Jacob, I do think that it's, it was worth looking at if you're a Chiefs fan going, okay, well, if he's not going to get a contract, is that a bad thing? Because you do say, I mean, if you moved on from Matthew, which I wouldn't find advisable, I don't think you could find anybody in general, but especially at this point who can provide the things he does on a defense, even beyond just what he does with his play in terms of leadership, getting the defense set up, the amount of uh, attitude that he brings to the field is, is contagious. And I think having that guy on the field is invaluable in some ways, but he would have, I mean, you could have moved on and saved about $10 million moving on from Matthew. That's according to Spotrack 
on their Matthew contract breakdowns here. Actually, yeah, it would have been actually more than that. It would have been about 14.8. I do think there was a part of me that saw that number and thought, my God, they're going to move on from Tyron or they're just going to let him play out his contract. But I agree with you, Sam. When it all is said and done, I do think it was probably more of an overreaction. And this is just the first step of what is now an open contract negotiation at this point. Now, what this did make bring us to is a question that is probably not best asked by us, considering the interactions we've had on Twitter from things that we've said and things that we have elicited from other athletes on Twitter. Looking at you, McCole, I'm so sorry, but it's true. It did happen. But it did, this is not the first chief to tweet out something this, just this offseason uh, who – has, and that has stirred up Chiefs' emotions. The other one earlier this, this offseason was Bashad Breeland back on the 13th of May after the Chiefs made a trade for Mike Hughes, a former de- uh, defensive back from Minnesota, who we'll talk about later in the podcast. Hughes is – there was a tweet sent out by Bashad that said, well, there you go, and immediately elicited this whole chain of tweets going back and forth with him about, oh, are you done in Kansas City? Are you whining that you're not signed in Kansas City? Like, what's what's going on? Jacob, you brought up the topic, you know, is this something that, is this something that athletes should be doing? Should they be using Twitter this way? Should they be using Twitter at all? It kind of got us thinking. And, it's, it's an, and it is a an interesting topic considering the amount of reaction that this has garnered from just these two athletes. Uh, we'll go in reverse order this time, Sam, how do you feel about athletes on Twitter? I guess the first thing I would like to say is for anyone that does know me probably understands that I am just the greatest social media individual <laughs> in the world. I just, I am on top of social media. I understand exactly how it works and I use it just all the time. Um, and if you couldn't pick up on the sarcasm in that, I apologize. But I, social media is one of those interesting aspects of today's world that when we look at it and say, Shh, I don't think, I, I will never come out and say, I do, I do not think an athlete should use social media because that is part of living in the United States. That's part of being, having it is the ability to utilize it, to be able to put your views out there and elicit what you want to say to whatever following you may want. And now it's how athletes choose Twitter that can get them in trouble. And we've seen this, this is not an isolated incident. We've seen many of professional athletes, many that are a lot bigger universes basically compared to Matthew and and Breland. Um, And it it sometimes come falls back on them. And for me, what I, what I've always said is, you know, there's always been a huge conversation of, of how professional athletes come into the league and these are high school, sometimes high school kids in the NBA case, basically, and, and young college kids coming into a world that they don't know anything about. And I think there can be a much better, uh, a much greater amount done to prepare these athletes to come in and understand how to utilize these things. Not only, again, you can go into this with their money, with, with all aspects of the professional game, but there should be, if I was a professional sports GM, I would actively have the first year they come into my team, they're sitting through a two month long class about how to use social media appropriately, because it it is a powerful tool. And it's something that everyone should be able to use. 
But what's what it seems to me when you see these athletes make these comments, a lot of times it's it's the reactionary Twitter bombs, basically. And they don't always think through what that could do to their own career. So I don't think they shouldn't use Twitter or other social media platforms. I think they need to be better first in the ways to utilize it correctly and how to appropriately. And this is this is one of those things that this is just me. If I was a professional athlete, I wouldn't use Twitter at all because I don't want to elicit any of that. But it's it's hard because they're they're humans. They're not they're not. We see them as something different because we watch them on TV. But they're at the end of the day, they're guys that go home and they're sitting on their couch and just messing around on their phone. And, and they just have to understand what these tweets can elicit and, and almost think through them a little bit more sometimes. So it, it's for me, it's not that they shouldn't use it. It's that they just need to understand what social media can do because it has a lot of benefits. We, If you look at guys like Tom Brady, Tom Brady is probably the perfect example of how to use social media in the best way possible. They're, they're really outside of showing that he is a energy vampire and open mouth kissing his son to try to steal his life force. He, he uses everything appropriately. So I, I would just like, quick, real, real quick, I have to pause you. Please tell me you're watching what we do in the shadows. <laughs> I have, I have watched what we do in okay. the shadows and yes, I do. <laughs> but no, so I, I just think there needs to be a better job done of, of helping young athletes specifically understand what, social media can't do for them as a whole or, or how it can affect them in a negative way. And that that's the only thing I would like to see, because I don't think it needs to be that you can't use Twitter if you're a social media or a social or an athlete, but you just need to use it correctly or, or understand what the consequences it can be. Jacob, what about you athletes on Twitter? How do you think that should be managed? Well, let me start here. Uh, if athletes didn't use Twitter, we wouldn't have probably three quarters of the content that we we have. So let me start by saying, yes, athletes should use Twitter. And I think when I posed this question, it was almost, and this is how I always ask any question to students as well. So sorry for the teacher version of me is, is it more good or more bad? Because those are easy words to understand. So uh, for, for me, of course, not for the students. <laughs> but It's nice to know you're teaching the students proper grammar, too, with more good it, and more bad. Exactly. Well, you know what? I don't teach. He's a math grammar. teacher. And this, this all lines up then. So get off my back, Sean. <laughs> or otherwise, I'm going to go tweet about how I'm looking for a different podcast to be on and sadly find out that this is the only podcast I can be on. <laughs> Sam has summed up social media usage for anybody really you know it's you can use it as a positive thing or a negative thing I I agree with you there really what I'm kind of thinking as far as this question goes is does do athletes get the outcome that they want when they use Twitter the way these guys do basically where if you complain about a contract or you know or something a team is doing does it actually work out for you and is social media the way to use it I don't know. I think that's why I asked the question is because you would think, and I, we don't know for a fact because none of us are Chiefs insiders or NFL insiders. I know that shocks most of our listeners that we are not professional insiders, but you would think that most of these guys go first to their organization and they're in their locker room. They're pretty apparent about their emotions towards situations, whether it's somebody like, let's just use Aaron Rodgers since he's the name right now. He probably isn't the most openly friendly guy in the locker room. People probably know he is a little ticked off about things. So 
when stories about him get shared on Twitter, because again, I don't think he's come forward in any way and said, you know, actually said something, but the guys that do, it's like, they're clearly pushed to a breaking point. And does this ultimately get them what they don't want? I don't know if it does. I, most of the situations I feel like work out are like, all right, we are going to move on from you after we've deemed that you no longer actually hold value to us. Like a Le'Veon Bell, basically, you know, of, oh, okay, we're going to let you go to the Jets because we think you're pretty much done anyway. So see you later, dude. But that's kind of where my brain was at on this question. When I was in school at Baker, Baker University, we talked a lot about media usage in general, but also social media, because that was really, this is a shocker for, for all you kids out there, but that was when social media really started to boom, was really when I was in school. And what I have kind of come to the conclusion on is that with really any kind of media, whether it's television, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book or a movie or Twitter, Facebook, whatever the case, once you put something out there, it, it really isn't yours anymore. Twitter and Facebook are a little easier because they can go back podcasts too. It's, it's easier for me to go in and I could delete every episode we've ever had. I, it would take some work to pull them off of all of the outlets that we put it on, but it could be done. But once you somewhere, some, somewhere out there, McCold Hardman is cheering for you to delete every episode that we've ever recorded. And, but that, but that was kind of why I didn't want to respond to anything with that with that situation. We came up when we we talked about McCold. We have been critical of McCold Hardman, and and we're, I mean we're not the only ones, but we were the ones that got brought up by him and then all of his fans and they were upset and i get that once we put it out there people are free to react from whatever they want you know sam to your point i agree people you know athletes or anybody should be allowed to say and do what they want that's what our first amendment of the constitution states is that you have the right to freedom of speech and the freedom of the press free of government censorship anyway but i think people forget that last part where it's you have the right to the freedom of the press and a freedom of speech right to a, a peaceful assembly without censorship of the government. Again, that's not the exact wording. It's much more flowery and done up, but that's <laughs> the meaning behind it. It says freedom to say and do what you want as long as you're peaceful from government censorship, not from criticism, from debate, from people fact-checking you, from people being upset with you. From people laughing at you, which is really what I think McCole Hardman and Tyreek Hill were doing at us, was just chuckling at the, oh, these, these dudes just doing their thing. But I do think it was interesting because McCole, we didn't tag McCole on our videos. We, we don't tag any Chiefs players in, in our, our video clips or when we upload the full podcast. But I do think it was an interesting lesson because when McCole initially quote tweeted our, our video clip, the outcry for the first half of the morning was all on McCole's side. It was all about McCole Hardman. And then there was this one man or one woman behind the Twitter handle, you never know, who happened to bring up, why is a professional athlete on Twitter at one in the morning searching for his own name for a podcast that at the time had six followers? Now we doubled that because of McCole Hardman. So thank you, McCole. Like, you're not wrong, Jacob, but there was a big boom to our, our podcast because Sean, of- I wish I, I wish you wouldn't use the numbers. You could have just said we doubled our followers. That's also true. I could have done that, but I feel like honesty is important here. But uh, 
and and all of a sudden you started to see that transition from people just backing McColl because they're they are his followers and the other people who now join the conversation and start commenting on why are you coming at why are you bringing up this podcast that clearly has no effect on you unless you let it and that and McColl really didn't even do anything that big of a deal like he just you know tweeted out wow with a crying laughing face that was it it's not it's not Marcus Peters who the Chiefs prohibited entirely from doing any kind of media whether it was social or talking to local media with the Kansas City Star, A10, 610, uh, KCTV5, Channel 9, any of them. He, he was not allowed to talk to the media because of what they knew he was capable of doing to his career by talking. And that's, those, that's the difference of it. And so I do think that, yes, all athletes should, should be allowed and I think should be on Twitter and, and social media, because I think it helps promote their brand. And I think these guys in a world where their careers are a max at three years for the vast majority, and they're working for a bunch of billionaires who never have to take a hit in their lives. I want them to make as much money and get as big of a following as they possibly can. However, they do it. It's just a matter of making sure that you understand as the way I think we understand, like when you put something out there, it's not yours anymore. It's now available for, for public consumption. The interesting thing, and I'll kind of come to Jacob's, Jacob's original question is, does it hurt or help more when they make these kind of comments? What's most interesting about when you read into a lot of, a lot of these comments, that the, that, especially these two, we'll just stick with Tyron Matthew and Brashard Breland, they were super vague. It's one of those things that it it's all up to the reader to establish what they feel the individual is going after. And it, it it's playing for it. It's almost to a point where they're playing to get the violins. They're like, oh, woe is me at times. And it, it it's it's hard to understand what they're going through, because, again, these guys are millionaires. They don't need what some Joe Smo in the middle of Kansas saying, oh, my gosh, you need to be a chief, all of this. They're like. But that that's at times they're playing for the violins and they're trying to get a little bit of clout come back coming back on them. Just it almost seems sometimes to make themselves feel better <laughs> is what it honestly reads to me. And again, I, I'm probably coming off. I, I will come off on the as the the old man of the podcast today because I am I really don't use social media. It's not something that I am versed in. But we I mean, we are in our early 30s and Speak for yourself, funny, man. Jacob, you'll be there soon enough. Don't worry. You're the only one that's a father right now. So you're. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you, you're going to age a lot quicker than us. from now. (laughs) That's also very true. Um, But it's, what's interesting is we grew up where obviously social media started probably what midway through high school for us is when the first social media outlets really started to become available and utilize on a regular basis. Most of these athletes, it's, it's hard. This is where it really is hard because we see them on TV is realizing these guys are 20, 21 years old. They've grown up with it their entire lives. They've had a cell phone in their hands there since they were able to use one. And so this is second nature for them. So it may, it reads a lot differently to me just because it's not something I do. It's not something I've ever done, but for them, it's the, the little Twitter bombs and things like that. That's something they've been doing since they were a little kid, basically, it seems like. And so for it, it that's where I, that's where I mean that it, 
they need to be almost educated in what the appropriate way to utilize the platform is. But at the end of the day, it's kind of what they want to do. I don't think it ever helps anything because again, it has nothing to do with that, that individual working with the team as their agent. So if an agent came out and made Twitter comments about his player, then I'd be taking it a little bit more seriously. Obviously this is, it's a platform for that. They can address their frustration I'm sure Tyron Matthew is not happy. He doesn't have extension yet, but at the end of the day, I guarantee you his agent is the one that's doing the the groundwork and is trying to get that extension done. So until his agent comes out and says, we've been here before, I don't expect it to happen. I'm not too worried about it at that point. So. All right. Well then I'll give a firm stance on it. I think it doesn't help them in any way. Like, like you're saying, it's like, part of it is feel bad for me please general public my team doesn't feel bad for me that's you know a very simplified version of what we've said but it's like at the end of the day a phrase i hate tyron matthew is going to get a new contract from the chiefs or another nfl team regardless of if he went on twitter and said something very cryptically like you've said sam and where you know we we get these cryptic tweets and we all try to decide what does it mean uh, you know, I haven't gone religion lately on the podcast. No, just kidding. We're not going there. I said too many dangerous things that way. But no, I, I just don't get how it would benefit them in any way to go on there and complain in any sort of way, whether cryptic or not, because it's not going to get you what you want. Again, you're right. The agents and the team know that Tyron Matthew wants a new contract. That's a shocker, I know but he does want a new contract and I'm going to let you on a little, another little secret about an athlete. They want as much money as they can get. Unless you're Tom Bahali and then you're just the legend. <laughs> as we discussed last week. <laughs> I do. I will come back a little bit, Jacob. And like, what good does it do for you? I think people who are really good at social media, it can really help promote your brand. The two, two separate examples I'll use because they use it very differently. But to your point, Sam, earlier, Tom Brady, I think, is a magician when it comes to social media. Uh, I think that he does a great job of both garnering affection and love from an already incredibly powerful fan base in Massachusetts and also eliciting just an unbridled loathing from everybody who is not a Patriots fan. Buccaneers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jesus. Yeah. Buccaneers. This, that's my Vegas Raiders, Jacob and Sam. He's always a Patriot. But <laughs> he he does a great job of tweeting something or posting something, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or some other platform, and leaving it. He doesn't mess with it. He says, this is out here. I'm going to take a step back, whether it's something like what he said about when the schedules came out and they had uh, the Patriots and the Buccaneers playing. He said something to the effect of when your high school friends meet your college friends. And and if you're the high school friends in that scenario, in this case, how he I think he meant it was the Patriots. It's like, oh, like, I, don't, I don't want to be the high school friends. Like, what's what's that about? I want to be the college friends or vice versa. Like, you know, however you ended up taking it it can elicit people just chuckling going, Oh, Tom, you clever boy, or people getting really hacked off about it. Either way, it promotes their brand and leads to him having one of the top three selling jerseys in the last however many decades in the NFL. The opposite end of that spectrum is someone like Patrick Mahomes, who has this uh, 
aura about him, not just being a great athlete, but being a really nice guy for whatever he, he has done a great job. And, and from anybody I've heard who's actually had an interaction with him, it has always been positive. The closest I ever got to him was, uh, oh God, what was a pickleball courts in Missouri. And he and Eric Fisher, Greg Deer, and uh, Travis Kelsey came out. And all of a sudden, everyone turned around and starts, you know, doing the, uh, like all, everything that's totally not politically correct anymore. And to greet the Chiefs as they walked in, and they just played to it. They played to it. They greeted people. They were really nice to everybody. And then he, he will go on Twitter and talk about how great Kansas City is. He'll talk about, you know, and there was that bit where everyone was talking about Aaron Rodgers leaving. And Tyreek Hill said, I'm so happy in Kansas City. And Mahomes, like within a minute, was on it, quote tweeted and said, ditto with hearts and a smiley face. He does a great job of building his fan base, rallying support, promoting this vision, this image of him as this really great approachable, caring individual. And I think that that helps, again, promote a specific kind of a brand. So in in a very long-winded way to come back on your point a little bit, Jacob, it's, I think it depends on how it's used, whether or not it's good or not. You brought up two very good points or two very good individuals, because I kind of alluded to Tom Brady earlier. What I would say Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes do very well is their their social media is not their social media it's their brand social media and it is not something it's not them sitting on their couch at home watching watching tv and tweeting from their own personal account it is a this is patrick mahomes the brand it's patrick mahomes llc we'll say that this is this is his brand and they they market it as such now tom brady's gotten a little looser over i would say since he's gone to the bucks he's kind of gotten to the point where he's like all right I don't care anymore. I, I can make these little funny tweets here and there. And Patrick Mahomes does that as well. Like he obviously comments on, on different players. Like we saw with DK Metcalf last week and, and the comments. So he does obviously engage with other athletes, but when you look at the production value that he puts into his social media, it is very professional. And that's where I would question and, and where you see a difference between let's say McCall Hardman and, and Patrick Mahomes, how much of the content that is put out on Patrick Mahomes social media is purely made by him and not some form of a marketing company that he employs to ensure that this is exactly what it needs to be to grow his brand. Whereas you see some of these other players who it's obviously the same Twitter they've had since they were in high school and it's misspelled tweets and obviously just random pictures that they take and things of that nature. Now, again, not everyone is a $500 million quarterback and can afford to just be like, whatever, if I need to pay someone to do my social media, I will. But that's where I think that's kind of my point on the point I was trying to make at the beginning is with social media for athletes, it is their name is their brand and they need to treat it professionally. Understanding that what you say affects everything revolving around your name, because to Jacob's point, I don't think one tweet from Bashar Breland is going to get him signed by the team, but one tweet from Bashar Breland can have other NFL teams looking at him as saying, all right, he's obviously a disgruntled player. He's not happy about this. Do we want to bring that into our organization? So it can have lasting effects on his brand where it's not going to do anything for him getting signed to the chiefs, because obviously that's the business side. That's not anything to do with Twitter. Yeah. Sorry to, you know, kind of continue off Sean's point about, 
these guys building their fan base because that is part of it. You know, we love an underdog until they're on top and then we got to find something to tear them down and cheer for the next underdog. So it's almost like these guys are trying to confirm, Hey, you still like me. Look, you still like me. I promise. So yeah, that is, it is a solid point. So again, I of course said what I said, just stir the pot a little bit just to get your, you guys emotions out. But I do think that there are, I mean, there's obviously the other side of it where it's, you know, someone like someone who is basically bulletproof at this point, like LeBron James making comments about China's government or, you know, you're next about a police officer who's involved in a shooting uh, in a criminal case and then having to delete those tweets and and never addressing them again. That's (laughs) obviously the extreme negative side of it where it's, oh my gosh, what are you doing, man? Like you're, you're LeBron James. What are you doing? You're the most recognizable athlete in the world. And, and you're tweeting this stuff. Like, and I get like, so there is that other aspect of it, but I think Sam, to your point, I think obviously they're going to be outliers no matter what, but having an education about how to use social media really is something that I think everybody could benefit from, but especially athletes, especially athletes who have grown up with it and look at it as second nature. You know, when I, when we grew up with social media, like T9 texting was a new thing. You know, that was, that was a new and exciting feature on the Nokia brick. So it's a different world. And so when I got to college and was getting ready for a career in media, they, they told us about, you know, here are the dangers of this. Here are the things that you need to watch out for. You know, employers are scanning all of your things, uh, all of your platforms that you're using. You need to make sure you're conducting yourself in a way that would be appropriate for the world. And I still didn't do all of the things I should have been doing. There are definitely periods where it, it's like, man, Sean, you probably should have, you know, shut the hell up and not tweeted or put that on Facebook. And I didn't have, you know, the, the access and the attention that these guys have. These athletes, like, as you said, Sam, have grown up with talk to text in their hand or, you know, facial recognition on their phone. So it's like, boom, and I'm off to tweeting. I'm off to Facebook. I'm off to Vine or uh, Vine's not a thing anymore. See, this is where I'm at. What, TikTok. TikTok, TikTok now? Yeah, that's the thing. Ugh, I'm definitely sounding like the old one here. Hey, Sean, real quick, just to clarify on this, you've now flexed on us twice that you went to college, but you've also mentioned that you were in journalism or media and that all came out after you were in college. So did you just throw the degree right in the trash can? I tried it for a year and then yes, immediately afterward. (laughs) Just Just that piece of paper just went in the trash can. Tossed it out immediately. When I found out that they didn't pay you at all for journalism, I just threw it away immediately. I was like, oh, so if you don't work at ESPN or CBS or Disney, like you don't make any money. Got it. Okay. Is that, I'm still waiting on the paycheck for this show. So yeah, well, that's, good, that's good news to hear from you. Well, once wait for ready, NBC. Yeah, we're waiting on the checks from NBC, man, from stealing all of our stuff. And once we get that, we'll all be, well, we can retire in the podcast and go away. But, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like these guys, like social media is second nature. They, they've never had to think about it. And so I think a lot of these interactions or when people kind of hate on them, that's, that's their equivalent of being bullied at school. And, you know, obviously different people react to that diff- in, in different ways. So for them, it's, it's no big deal. And then you take that and you magnify it by, you know, a million. And, and now it's a brand. Now it's not just them interacting with their friends. Now it's them interacting with an organ in, in the name of an organization with teammates 
interacting with fans, cities, states, like there are people, there are millions of people on Missouri and Kansas side who hang on these players every word. But to them, it's just a continuation of what they've grown up with since they were little. So I do think, Sam, like to your point, an actual education or courses would be beneficial. Obviously, you're going to reach some people, some you won't, but at least you give them that opportunity to recognize like this is not just about you anymore. This is about your brand. And even beyond just like how it reflects on the team, think about how this affects your career earnings, how this affects your ability to get a job down the road. These are, these are things that I think are important for these guys to learn. Speaking of young guys and roster moves, I don't know, this is a terrible transition. We're just going to move on to the next topic. I don't know. Just say how, how, how the whole Twitterverse or Twitter thing started was us trading for a player. Hey, oh, man. See, Sam, this is why. Uh, Sam now the host of the show. Can you tell that I threw my degree right in the trash and maybe reason why? And there it is. Oh my that's, god. That's many years of presentations for biology, which I don't use either. So <laughs> we've all In abandoned fairness, I don't remember what my degree was even for. So <laughs> we've all abandoned our education except Jacob. <laughs> Who's just joking, doing education? They uh, see Jacob, they should have you teach a course on social media. You've got a podcast, a Twitter, and a Facebook. You're covered. Well, yeah, I was trying to get the system. I was like, I'm going to do what I've always done and get paid for it. And then the system gained me back and they're like, yeah, but not very much. <laughs> see, see, as as a good family friend always said to my mom, Jacob married well so he can continue his hobby jobby. <laughs> Alyssa, he, he's a trophy husband, let's be honest. <laughs> That's very true. The, the, uh, the, the participation award trophy husband. Now to use Sam's amazing transition – this whole conversation did begin because of a trade that Kansas City Chiefs organization made to acquire cornerback Mike Hughes from the Minnesota Vikings, moving a sixth-round pick in 2021 for a 2021 seventh-round pick and Mike Hughes. They've also made a myriad of moves in the time that you know, we, leading up to the draft, post-draft, that we, we did not discuss at all just because there was so much else going on and we already struggled to keep this podcast under an hour and a half at times and so we've just neglected to go over these but real quickly here and this is not including today uh, Monday May the 17th uh, that they have actually made a couple other moves but when we have led up to this point the Chiefs signed Jarek McKinnon uh, running back they signed Will Parks who's a defensive back corner safety uh, combo uh, signed wide receiver and UDFA after the draft Chris Finky, I think, F-I-N-K-E, and then also signed, and I'm going to butcher this name, Kamale Korea? Kamale Kila, Kila Kahui. Yeah, man. Kayahui. Took me a long time to get that one, too. There's your uh, crossover reference for the day, folks, if you're a diehard Royals fan. And then uh, lastly, traded for Mike Hughes, as aforementioned. Then today, they've also extended uh, contract offers to Doris Fountain and Manny Peters, uh, Patterson, excuse me, and also released Tajay Sharp. We thought we would cover at least a little bit of these, get our, our initial reaction, like who are you most excited for? Do you think he's going to have a big impact? Let's just go around the crew. Uh, Jacob, out of the moves that they made bringing guys in, was there one or two that jumped out to you as, wow, I think this could really you know, make a difference uh, either on the offense or the defense? 
All right, real quick uh, to sidebar and not answer Sean's question because it's been a little while since I've completely just not answered a Sean question. We're 40 minutes into the show and you have answered every question, so we're overdue. <laughs> I know. They might be giving me a degree here pretty soon that I'll you know, then throw directly in the trash can. But uh, Manny Patterson is from the University of Maine. We have had two Chiefs players from the University of Maine. Do you know what two players those are? Two players. Can I have, can I have some terrible hints for you. Both played uh, on the same team. Both defensive players. Both defensive players on the same team. Both Scott Pioli era. Oh, Scott players. Pioli era. You could say he was an awful human being, uh, considering how everything ended up for him. He he. You know, we say a lot of times players spent their final days as Chiefs. But this guy definitely spent his oh. final days as um, a Chief. Linebacker. <laughs> oh. Oh, God. Jacob. <laughs> Why do you bring this up, Jacob? It's terrible. <laughs> oh, my worst, God. Worst trivia question ever. <laughs> oh, his name starts with a J. He was a linebacker. Yeah. Oh, Jamal Charles, like, stepbrother, wasn't it? Or something like that. Or, uh, yeah. Brother There's in-law. some kind of relation there. <laughs> or inner. It, it oh, is. Yeah. Javon Belcher is one of them. Javon Belcher. Belcher. That was the last name. I knew Javon. I couldn't think of the last name. So I, 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 when I heard that he came from Maine, I was like, man, the Chiefs have definitely had a linebacker from Maine. And I couldn't come up with it either. I was like, I know it was a linebacker. I didn't realize there's somebody so, so prominent. I thought it was a guy they drafted, you know, that was on the team for like half a season. But, and then the other one was Mike DeVito. So that one surprised me. Oh, I was going to ask the most, the most recent player. And it was actually Mike DeVito. I thought it was Belcher, but DeVito actually played later for the Chiefs than Belcher did. Well, thank God for Mike DeVito saving that trivia question. <laughs> I know I need to call stump the chumps this week, so, but uh, uh, the original question Sean asked me was, uh, it was about uh, which of these signs that I like the most. Having seen Will Parks here in Denver, I do think he's an interesting signing because there's some mm-hmm. upside there. I mean, any player that gets signed this portion of this, of the offseason is going to have a lot of question marks there. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of rust on that player. Just, you know, they're good and they're bad, but Will Parks is out of that crew. The one I think is the most interesting because he's a, he's a good athlete. He struggled in coverage at times, but came and made some plays. So I don't think he's a high impact player by any means, but I do think he has the most potential upside out of the bunch Sam, what about you? Anybody the names there jump off the page at you as potential contributors for this coming season? The one that I'm most excited for, because I think he is one of the guys, it's kind of the boomer bust type selection is, is Mike Hughes. Um, what we ended up trading what a sixth round for him, I believe. And he was a first round pick three years ago. I want to say, I want to say it was three years ago. 2018 went 30th overall. Yeah. So and they first round talent, seven. first round talent for a sixth round pick. He has had some injuries, obviously, tore his ACL in his rookie season and this last year dealt with some neck problems. So his health is obviously a question, but he's very much in the DeAndre Baker mold for me. Um, I do think they're actually really similar players. And DeAndre Baker, honestly, I think that's probably the reason why we haven't heard much about Bashar Breland being re-signed. I think, they, I think the Chiefs are pretty excited about having him on the team in all reality because I do think he's going to come in as long as he again coming off an injury as well can come in and and get to form I think he's going to have an immediate impact as a as a cornerback but Mike Hughes I think could if he can stay healthy that's a 
that's another kind of each move that that may per, turn out to be a very, very solid choice. Now, for guys that I think will have immediate production on the field, I'm going to go with Jared McKinnon. Jared McKinnon's one of those running backs that he's not going to necessarily light your world on fire, but again, we have Clyde Edwards Hilaire, so he doesn't have to, but I think he's going to be a really good kind of alternative to Clyde in the backfield. So I, I think he will come in. I think he can be a really good pass catching running back for us and kind of give that secondary or second look at the running back position for us that we always seem to have. We always seem to have kind of that third down running back that really good at catching the ball, in the backfield. And, and he was very productive at his time with uh, Miami and, and the 49ers. So I think he will, he'll probably have the biggest impact this year, but Mike Hughes is the guy I'm, I think most excited for. Minnesota, I think you mean, but yes. Minnesota, excuse me, Minnesota and 49ers. Yeah, but I agree. I'll actually take them in reverse order because those are the two I'm most excited about as well. Will Parks, I think, is is intriguing to your point, Jacob, because he does have the versatility that I think the Chiefs really crave in their secondary. Guys who can play the play safety and play you know, a nickel corner position. So uh, uh, he is intriguing, but the two I'm most excited for are Jarek McKinnon and Mike Hughes. Jarek McKinnon to me, allows you to do some fun things with two backs in the backfield. I think because both Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarrett McKinnon are both good uh, receivers at their position, you have the option to, you know, do two backs in the backfield. You can split one out wide. You can put one in the gap. You could, you know, they did a lot of that with Jamal Charles back in the day where they'd move him out wide and see if they could take a linebacker with them. And that created an awful lot of mismatches for that offense at the time. I think having a receiving running back like McKinnon, who really showed a lot of flashes back in, in Minnesota, back in a Adrian Peterson, that's, that's a guy that I think now that he doesn't have to be, doesn't have, and isn't expected to carry anything, which, you know, he hasn't really had those expectations for a while. Uh, there was a brief period when he came in for Adrian Peterson. Some folks thought he was going to be at least friends of mine that I talked to thought he might actually be a, a really good starting running back. But if all he has to be is a third down back in Kansas city and, and you're already with a team that really loves to throw the ball, I think that's a great fit. Mike Hughes to me, I am begging is an upgraded version of Charverius Ward. Cause this feels a lot like that trade where back then it was a player for player. You know, Parker anger was a guard that wasn't going to get time. He wasn't going to get a roster spot. It was essentially picking up a UDFA without having to compete for everybody else or, or, or a guy who's released in the free agency and not have to compete with giving a, an ex, a larger contract than you might want. This feels very much like that, where it's, hey, we're pretty sure you're going to move on from this guy. We'll give you a sixth if we can get your seventh back with him. First round talents, again, this is why I love Veach. And it hasn't always worked out. Reggie Ragland was... I think solid at times, but not, not living up to a second round pick status that he, he garnered. Charvarius Ward is the complete other side of it, where it's somebody who, you know, late round pick that you weren't sure was going to make a lot of hay. And all of a sudden he turns into a, a solid number two corner for most of his career. Mike Hughes is a first round talent that just hasn't been able to stay on the field because of injury. If you can find a way to put him in positions to succeed where he is limiting the wear and tear on his body and not having to play, you know, I've, I've seen a lot on Craig Stout specifically as one from Kansas City Sports Network, formerly of Arrowhead Pride, where he talks about Mike Hughes 
potentially being a really good nickel corner and allowing Legereus Sneed to play outside almost exclusively. And I think that would be huge because I think you, you create a lot more turnover opportunities for Sneed, which I think is his best attribute is taking the ball away. And if you're able to do that, you can limit the wear and tear on Mike Hughes because he's not going to have to play every down if he's a nickel or a dime corner. And then you see where he goes from there. But those two specifically, I think, have a real opportunity to make a, a big impact on the team. Not saying they're going to be stars or anything, but the ripple effect that they could create, in, I think, could be really big for Kansas City and what they can do down the road. Yeah, and again, not to, to reiterate something we – talked about two podcasts ago, I believe. But again, this is another one of those moves that just shows the overall development with Veach, I think, because again, you you mentioned the Reggie Ragland deal is probably the best one to, to compare this to because what, when did we get Reggie Ragland? That was five, four years ago, I want to yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, about four, four, three or four years ago. I can't remember off the top of my head. But given a second round pick for a guy that hadn't performed at a high level, even though he was obviously a highly drafted player, and then we look at what Veach has transformed into, into um, getting a player who has very high upside and not, again, you, I completely forgot that we got a seventh round back for him. But so not only only giving up a sixth round, but still staying the same number of picks in that draft, just one, one round later. And obviously once you get back into the sixth and seventh, they're kind of interchangeable at that point. So it, I think it's again, really showing that Veach is, becoming better at the at the trade aspect of his of his duties because that was something that was sometimes a little worrisome early on in his tenure with the as the Chiefs GM but I think again Mike Hughes I think he's going to be again we may not he's one of those guys that we might kind of might be like the DeAndre Baker we we really might not even see him on the field this year he might be a guy that sits in the sits kind of sits back and and we let him learn the system, make sure he's completely healthy. And we might see him at the end of the year. Hopefully, obviously, knock on wood, he doesn't have the same situation as DeAndre Baker had last year with that freak injury. But I I think that it, again, it's just a really good move to to deepen the depth within the se- secondary room, basically, and ensuring that you're giving yourself a chance to have highly talented individuals for really no no capital whatsoever to get them. Yeah, and I, I think that the Chiefs, whether you say it specifically with the defensive backfield coaching, they have done a really good job of putting guys in positions to succeed. Bashad Breeland being a great example of that and Legereus Sneed being another in two very different ways. Bashad Breeland, not a fast corner, not the most athletic. He doesn't have you know, the most flu- fluid uh, athleticism you've ever seen. But when he would get beat deep for me, it was kind of a surprise because it just didn't happen that often. I think a lot of that is attributed to the Chiefs putting him in a position to do the things that he does well. Get his hands on guys, jam him at the line of scrimmage, make sure he has safety help over the top if need be, but let him get his hands off on guys, disrupt the route, make sure they don't get off the line of scrimmage clean. And all of a sudden you're not having to worry about, you know, a four, six speed corner. It's, it's a lot easier for him to do it. And then Legereus Sneed, you didn't put him on at outside cornerback right away. You, you played him outside some. You played him at the nickel at times. You, you allowed him to blitz a lot last year. And you learned that Legereus Sneed can do a lot of things really well. And I think allows you to 
make a decision on what he does best and then put him in position to do that thing, which is why I think I would like to see him at outside on the outside of your number one corner position, just because he has his ability to take the ball away, I think is his best attribute, as I said earlier. So if you can leave him on the outside and then occasionally blitz with him, as you know, because I still think he's really good at that. I think you make your team better. And if Mike Hughes can be that corner, uh, nickel corner or a dime corner and Rashad Fenton can be the other nickel or dime corner, whatever the case might be, and all of a sudden DeAndre Baker doesn't have to rush back from injury and maybe develops into the corner that the Giants thought he could be. Maybe Bashad, maybe you don't have to worry about bringing Charvarius Ward back on a large contract and then the cycle repeats itself. You're still in a position where you're play, paying highly talented guys cheap rookie contracts and allowing you to carry the contracts that you have with guys like Tyron Matthew, like Chris Jones, like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and just something that was interesting because you brought up Bashad Breland's kind of deficiencies as a, within our defense of his speed, not necessarily being as athletic. I honestly just wanted to see kind of where Mike Hughes measures up. He's identical to Bashard Breland. I mean, 5'10", 189 pounds, ran a 5'3", or 5'4", 5'3", 40. Breland, 5'11", 197 pounds, ran a 4'5", They're basically identical cornerbacks. So we basically just traded for a younger Bashard Breland, I guess. So maybe um, that tweet wasn't maybe, so cryptic. Maybe, maybe Bashard Breland, like, you literally got the other version of me. <laughs> you just you just traded for me as a younger player, essentially. But <laughs> no, so I think that obviously that shows the Chiefs aren't afraid of having maybe not obviously a four uh, four five three is not slow in any means for a normal human being, but as a cornerback in the NFL, not necessarily blazing. So they're not afraid of having the big, not necessarily bigger, but maybe not as speedy cornerbacks on the outside like we saw with Breland, but. I think he's – I'm excited to see what he could do. Hopefully he can kind of become healthy because obviously the ACL is not something I'm worried about. It, in today's game, ACLs are a dime a dozen and they're able to fix them. The neck problem is obviously worrisome because you don't really know what, what's going on with that. But One more random one, as I was thinking, and JJ reminded me of this as he was crying about it, was the uh, Kamali Correa or Kila Kahue. He uh, – he, for some reason, really reminds me of Jason Babin when the Chiefs got him. Numbers weren't, like, insane, but just plays a similar position as an outside linebacker but was playing in a system that didn't really, like, love him to rush the passer. He came to the Chiefs. They let him rush the passer a little bit more, and then he had, you know, a whole second career after that, whereas before he hadn't had a lot of success previously. So, I mean, that's very high hopes for him. But for some reason, my brain just keeps connecting – the two of them. And, you know, Sean has flexed on us twice about going to college. I've flexed on us three times now saying my brain. So I'm expecting a little bit of a little bit of clout to use your guys vocabulary here at some point. I do think Correa is he'll be one of those players that I don't think will make any kind of big splashes, but he'll be a good rotational player on the defensive line, because obviously he's coming into a system where he's going to be a defensive end. I can't see them trying to play him at linebacker, especially after drafting Nick Bolton. But I think he could be that guy that's like, okay, it's not Taco Charlton. Let's put Correa in for a snap. It's not Correa. Let's put um, X, Y, or Z in. And they all kind of do the same thing. So I think he'll be a, he'll be a good player. I think he'll fall within that vein of the rotational players that we see. 
every year. Maybe he'll be something special, just come out and just be a monster, and that'd be great. But I think he'll just be good rotational depth at this point. When they run their nickel packages where it's like a 2-4 whatever, 2-4-7, like he'll he'll make an appearance as your, your outside pass rusher. I think you'll see him a lot there. Um, when they got two down linemen, your outside backers are essentially the edges, and I think that's where you'll see him the most. Now, to wrap things up here tonight, we wanted to, you know, give our take on the Chiefs schedule that was released, and you know, because everybody else already has, because I don't know when it happened, but apparently the schedule being released turned into a huge deal because it was being leaked all over the place by every you know NFL reporter possible, and everyone was just hanging on with bated breath. I didn't realize that this was just one step down from the NFL draft, but apparently it is. But we did want to go, go over the schedule ourselves and you know give our takes on what we're excited for, where do you think the potential pitfalls are for the Chiefs in the schedule, uh, maybe get a, a way too early to tell a record before we actually get close to, before we have any actual training camp. Um, Sam, I'll come to you here first on this one. Once you had a chance to see the schedule in full, were there any games that jumped out to you? What were your overall reactions to the schedule? How did you feel about it when it came out? I think it's a pretty favorable schedule for the most part in the way I'm looking at it, um, especially the early games. Obviously, with with the first two, Cleveland and Baltimore, they're going to be – those are the two games I could see us losing one of those just because it came out and they just came out and played a little better than us. But at the end of the day, we really have never struggled much with Baltimore and Cleveland's still kind of Cleveland at this point. So until they can – come out and prove that they are an elite team. I'm not super worried about them, but those are the kind of teams that like the first game Cleveland comes out and just gangbuster all over, just destroys us. Kareem Hunt comes out and just says, Hey, remember I used to be on your team and I'm going to run all over you, which could possibly happen. But I, I mean, especially the early part of the season, I think we've got obviously tough games, but not anything that's crazy. It's kind of spaced out. You'll get one really good opponent, kind of break into a team that's not necessarily as high quality. One really good opponent, not as high quality. So obviously within the NFL, as we saw with our games against the Raiders last year, you can lose any game. And the Chiefs seem to lose one of those games every year. So I I think it's a good schedule. Um, I think the biggest question on the schedule will be what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Because obviously we not only play Green Bay, if he's traded to the Broncos, that makes the schedule a very different beast if we're having to go against Aaron Rodgers now twice a year instead of just once. Overall, the way I look at it, um, kind of my my too early to predict schedule, I, I'll go a little lenient, and I'm going to say I'll go 13-4. and four, And the reason for that is I, I think, again, the Chargers are going to play us tough. We seem to have problems with the Raiders constantly. And we still play the, the Packers depending on whether – uh, Aaron Rodgers is there or not. And then obviously there's always, like I said, the first two games are, are kind of could be trap games for us for me, but I, I'm going to say either 12 or five, 13 and four, and that could change depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers. But I, I still think it's a, a favorable schedule for us overall. For me, looking at this schedule, my early, I agree with you. I think the pitfalls are early. I think those are the, where the, the biggest traps are. And I actually think the, the trap game that jumps out to me initially is against the Eagles. Not because they're a good team, but because just the opposite. I don't think they're a good team. And you're talking about a schedule where you got 
five, six out of your first seven are playoff teams. Granted, Washington, you can you can make the argument without Alex Smith, they were absolutely garbage. But for me, looking at that schedule, you know, you're you're coming off of the Browns, you're coming off of the Ravens, you're coming off of the Chargers, and then you have the Eagles right before you go face the Bills and the uh, the Washington football team and the Titans after that. You have your you have this game in the middle that screams look ahead to me. And I, I do get a little concerned about that particular kind of a game. Again, not because it's a good team, because just the opposite. Those seem to be the games where you're most prone as a team to play down to your competition when you're looking ahead, knowing that you have a big game. Again, with another quarterback that had a really big year last year and is on, seemingly on the rise and one that the, the national media likes to talk about as being you know, the next combatant for Mahomes over the next 10 years. So I can absolutely see coming off of the, the Ravens and the Chargers who have two young quarterbacks who, have, who you know, are going to be doing their best to prove themselves against the, the, the king of the quarterbacks with Patrick Mahomes. Looking ahead to the next guy, Josh Allen, who Patrick Mahomes has already had a back and forth about arm strength on Twitter with when they were talking about doing the charity throw for the longest time. And, and looking ahead over a team in Philadelphia that has had its struggles most recently. Jacob, what about you? When you had, oh, oh before I do that, uh, my too early to predict uh, record, though, before any training camp or anything like that, I was, I'm going back and forth between 14 and three and 13 and four, which those both sound really weird to say. I'm just going to say it right now. I'm going to screw that up at least a thousand times this year. But uh, I was going to go 14 and three. And again, it gives you the opportunity basically the same record as last year, just you end up dropping one somewhere, you a game that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's when I looked at the schedule, that was kind of my initial reaction. Um, Jay, what about you? When you looked at the schedule, potential pitfalls record, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I like your guys' sentiments you've shared about all, everything. The first one, you know, being the, like the pitfall game. Um, mine will be the at Chargers on Thursday night, just because Thursday night football is terrible. And it's just not enough time for those players to heal. And you just get crap results. And if you were a betting person, you should never bet a Thursday night game because, again, just crap football all around. Uh, also, just in case anybody wants to argue me on that point, Patrick Mahomes lost his kneecap on a Thursday night football game, just as a rem- reminder to all of you. Just one he didn't more lose it. Jacob, he did not lose it. He just misplaced it. It was on the wrong side. Temporarily. Of his- <laughs> temporarily lost it. But uh, my overall record is going to be 14-3 and for a loss at the Chargers on a Thursday night. The Week 18 game against the Broncos is going to be meaningless. And then one of those teams in the revenge case is going to get the Chiefs, whether it's the Ravens, Bills, or Browns. I'm predicting a loss out of one of those three. So that's where my brain's at on all of it. And I would just – I'd like throw in – what game do you guys have a game you're most looking forward to? Because obviously there's a lot of teams we've, we've gone against. I think for me, it is the bills, just the hype darlings that were the bills last year. I just want that to stop. And I want the chiefs to come in and just roll over them. I think with a new offensive line, it could be a, it could be a a long night for Josh Allen if they try to play, play chiefs football with us. Yeah. I think for me, really any of the, the games where it's a young quarterback were my big ones. 
I'll, I'll take the Ravens just because you took the Bills for that same reason. I And again, I think we've had some friends, Hunter, I'm looking at you, who listened to this podcast, who said, man, you guys really hate these quarterbacks. And I'm like, I don't know what we hate them. We're just tired of like, because, because I know at least I did this. I won't speak for you guys, but like when you're growing up, you like talk about Trent Green's a great quarterback or like, and, and he's not, he's not Peyton Manning. He's not going to be the guy to beat him. John, let me pause you there. Knock it off. Don't go any further about Trent Green. <laughs> well, let me pivot because my next point was going to be, I remember arguing with our, our dear friend, Hunter Thompson, vehemently uh, stating that Matt, uh, Matt Castle was a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers because Matt Castle was leading the NFL in passing touchdowns at the time in his one good year with the Chiefs. Obviously, that's not true. So when I see this now with the national media and, and the promotion of these quarterbacks as the, the Mahomes killers is what it comes off as. And, and I, maybe that's not how they intend it, but that's how it feels at times. It's like, no, we finally have the guy recognize that we have the guy the only other dudes that are like him in the nfl currently are aaron Rodgers and for whatever reason tom brady who just keeps finding a way to get it done even though his arm is basically a pool noodle we established that last week sean yeah we we identified why he's able to do it soul sucking vampire man that's how he makes it happen but that's that to me is where it's it's a little frustrating as a Chiefs fan because there are good quarterbacks in in the NFL. I think Josh Allen made huge strides. You know, Lamar Jackson had a quote unquote down year where he still passed for you know sixty three sixty four percent completion percentage and was still a dangerous rusher. It's just when you watch them play, they're not Mahomes. They can't do a full on Superman parallel to the ground and hit the receiver in the face mask in the um, end. What was your answer for a game? I'm losing more what your answer for your game was. I said you game, game, but <laughs> I'll take the Ravens specifically Okay, okay. for that reason, because I'm tired of the same reason Sam did. I'm just tired of the attempts to make rivalries where there aren't any yet. I'll keep mine short. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, because – Last time, Patrick Mahomes misplaced his kneecap when they were going to play each other. And just, you can't beat a quarterback duel. I got one more, and it's not about the game at all. It's about a player versus player comparison. It is the Washington football team. And it's just to see, even if Lucas Niang is not starting by that point, do they put him in to neutralize Chase Young like he did in college? Oh. <laughs> oh do like they just that. say, all right, Lucas, go follow him around and do what you did in college? <laughs> Well, that's the okay. One, one more funny thing on that. I feel like every offensive tackle that ever played against Chase Young, that was their write up pre draft. Was like, go watch the tape when this guy played Chase Young. He did pretty well against him because that was also Rashawn Slater's. So it started to crack me up. I was like, okay, this guy is so good. Go watch, go watch other players when they played him in college just to compare. Which, if you're Chase Young, doesn't that just hack you off? That like everyone's like, look how they dominated Chase Young. It's just like, bro, I have like 15 sacks. Like, what do you want, man? I've never even gone and looked at the stats for any of those games. But the funny thing is, is they probably say, look how well he did. Chase Young probably still walked out of those games with like three sacks. (laughs) (laughs) That's the sad thing about it is like they neutralized him really well. He only got three sacks this game. He didn't murder your quarterback. He was alive at the end of the game. Like, that's a huge win. 
And if anybody questions, this is going to be a pro Chase Young podcast as well. I will force <laughs> that because he is a monster. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here tonight. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, we are going to have a lot more content as this rolls along. OTAs have begun, so it's about that time. We're just we're, we're a stone's throw away from training camp, so keep it locked right here. Until next time, y'all be safe out there, and we'll talk to you next week.